Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of our Stradley Talking Investment Management podcast. I'm Dave Grimm, and I'm very pleased to be joined by some very special guests today. Carolyn McPhillips is the president of the Mutual Fund Directors Forum. The forum is an independent nonprofit organization that serves independent directors of mutual funds and other registered investment companies. And they seek to enhance fund governance by building a strong community among the directors through educational and networking opportunities. We're really, really excited to have uh, Carolyn here with us. And I'm also really excited to have my colleague, Jen Hillman here. She's a colleague of mine here at Stradley and uh, she's here with us. And the reason that we're all here together is to talk about some collaboration that we have been doing together. Um, as I mentioned, the forums, one of the forums missions is to provide educational opportunities for uh, fund directors and the forum and Stradley are about to publish a paper on fund valuation, which is a critical issue in our industry today. We're going to spend about 15 minutes together today uh, talking about a few things. One is the importance of valuation. Uh, another is the how and the why we did this paper. Then we're going to spend a little bit of time on what directors are currently focused on with respect to valuation. And then we're going to provide a sneak peek at what's in the paper. This is intended to be a preview of the release of the paper. And we're going to have a webinar, which is currently scheduled for Tuesday, the 14th of November at two o'clock Eastern. That's where we're going to provide a deeper dive on the paper. And we hope you listen to us today and you'll watch us when we get to that in November. So without further ado, let's get to it. Uh, welcome, uh, Jen and Carolyn. It's, it, it's great to have you. Um, I think to get us started, uh, Carolyn, I was hoping maybe you could just give us some of your thoughts on the importance of valuation, the paper, the timing of it all, why we're here together today. So turn it over to you. Well, thanks so much for having me here today and for Stradley's partnership in writing this important paper for fund directors. As you alluded to, valuation is really a critical area of importance um, in what fund directors do. I want to start talking about a little bit about why valuation is important to fund investors, um, because that's really the board's focus is they're looking out for the investors in the mutual funds. So proper valuation of securities is critical to fairness for fund shareholders. If fund shares are improperly valued, either buying or selling shareholders are going to benefit at the expense of the other group. In addition, valuation is a potential area of conflict with the advisor as valuation is the basis for the calculation of a fund's performance as well as its fees. So valuation has always been a critical area. You don't have to sell the fact to directors that, that they should be focused on valuation. It is one of the few duties that is specifically imposed on fund boards by the 1940 Act. In addition, boards really do oversee funds today that are a lot different than funds of the 1940s and 50s and 60s and the complicated assets that funds hold now. And even though directors aren't involved in the day-to-day -day evaluating securities, the board plays a critical role in the valuation process. Uh, we thought now is a great time to provide additional guidance. As I mentioned, the fund industry is getting a lot more complex, and that complexity really does require more focus for fund directors. Uh, our current guidance that the forum published on valuation is from 2012. So even if nothing had changed, it was probably time for an update of that paper. 
Um, and we're also about one year out from compliance date with Rule 2A5. So something did in fact change and something pretty big. Uh, the period has given boards enough time to sort of get comfortable with compliance with the rule to allow us to gain some meaningful insights into the process. I think if we had done this a little bit earlier, we wouldn't have had so much uh, experience to draw on from the fund boards that are actually doing this in their boardrooms. Uh, but I do expect that where we are today is going to continue to evolve. And I don't think if we do this podcast again next year that we're going to be talking about the same things because boards are going to continue to learn and evolve in their processes. Um, the rule also makes clear that the valuation process is supposed to be an iterative one. Um, and boards understand that instinctively and they will continue to change their practices to meet the needs of their funds. Uh, they understand the gravity of the rule. Um, that they have in valuation. I mean, this is a really critical area. As I mentioned, it's fundamental to fairness to the shareholders and the funds, and they provide a critical role in that investor protection. And even though boards don't need any additional motivation to take their valuation responsibilities seriously, they're getting it from the SEC. And this is a very active SEC that is skeptical of board effectiveness in general. And the skepticism, in my opinion, has led to examinations of how funds and boards are complying with a brand new rule almost immediately after its effectiveness. I think this attention is unfortunate because it really did take away some time that boards would have liked to have to sort of tweak their processes and to get comfortable with what they were doing under a rule that while covers a familiar area, uh, it does require changes to what they did prior to the adoption of the rule. And I think we you can look at the paper and see that um, boards have to establish the valuation process that works best for their particular funds. There's no one size fits all in the valuation area, like many other areas, but I think valuation in particular because fund assets and investments vary so widely from fund to fund. And the paper isn't designed to be a prescriptive process that, you know, boards, you should be doing X, Y, and Z in your valuation process, or you're, you're not upholding um, your responsibilities in this area. But I do think if you look at the paper, it really is a testament to how seriously boards take their responsibilities and really just look at, see what they really are responsible for, which is a significant issue for fund shareholders. And I want to contrast there, we have boards in registered funds, but the private funds do not have independent boards. And I think if you look at some valuation cases in that area, there have been a number of cases involving valuation, uh, erroneous valuations that resulted in overcharging of fund investors. And the cases in that area range from having inadequate policies and procedures to an advisor overvaluing securities despite knowledge to the contrary regarding the value. And I think these cases really do show the importance of mutual fund boards who really are in this space to oversee the process and to help police those sorts of conflicts that might arise if there wasn't a board to protect them. Excellent. That's really good, Kara. Thank you for sort of laying the laying laying down why why we're all here today, right? Um, and so our next section is going to be we're going to talk a little bit about what boards what they're worried about what they're focused on in the boardroom but i just before we do that jen um if we could just spend a couple minutes on the framework that new rule 2a5 lays out for boards before we jump into what they're doing uh with that new rule so jen take it away great thanks dave as Carolyn mentioned, directors bear the ultimate responsibility under Section 2A41 of the 1940 Act to determine the fair value of portfolio investments. 
Rule 285 replaced a patchwork of SEC guidance and provides requirements for determining fair value and addresses the board's role with respect to this process. Among other things, the rule allows boards to designate the day-to-day -day duties related to fair valuation to evaluation designate, which in large part must be the investment advisor. The investment advisor may seek assistance from third parties in fulfilling its duties, but may not delegate them away. Under the rule, fair valuation includes certain elements, assessing and managing valuation risks, establishing and applying fair valuation methodologies, testing those methodologies, and evaluating pricing services. There is also a requirement for the valuation designee to reasonably segregate fair valuation determinations from portfolio management. This designation, however, is subject to ongoing oversight by the directors of the valuation designee and its valuation process. This oversight is an iterative process, as Carolyn mentioned, requiring that boards remain vigilant to new issues and changing market dynamics that may create price uncertainty. To assist with this oversight, the rule requires the boards receive certain quarterly, annual, and prompt reports, along with additional reporting that the board may request. The paper provides great examples of questions that the board may wish to ask and examples of reports that the boards may find helpful. It's important for boards to have good communication with evaluation designee to design their oversight and reporting in a way that is most effective for the board and most protective of shareholders. Excellent. It's a pretty complicated rule and guidance uh, that the SEC rolled out and Jen, that was nicely done summarizing it all in a couple minutes um, as we jump into our next as, as i mentioned our, our, our next topic that we want to spend a little bit of time on here today is so what have boards been talking about when it comes to valuation in the boardroom um, carolyn do you want to start on that with what you've been hearing from your director colleagues yeah i'd love to we we talk to a lot of boards so we do get some insights into how they deal with new rules and as you mentioned dave rule 2a5 is, is really complicated and i think it's interesting and i do think it caught a lot of boards off guard because i think they were surprised at the amount of time it actually took them to get into compliance with this rule i think when you see a rule in an area where you're intimately familiar you've been doing valuation oversight for a long time i think maybe it wasn't expected that the the time required to get into compliance with this rule would be as significant as it actually was the rule does have a real benefit because it's giving boards an opportunity to review their practices around valuation in general and i think that iterative process will be emphasized as the boards consistently review their processes so i think boards really do take seriously the responsibility and valuation and how they have to consider the process but i think it is also easy for boards to get comfortable with a process that has worked for a long time and i think the rule did spur some changes that were to the benefit of funds boards and their shareholders I think the rule really did encourage boards to take a look at their current governance practices to consider how well they functioned as they oversee valuation in light of the rules requirements. The rule does give a lot of flexibility to fund boards and how they will carry out those responsibilities. So 
we've seen a variety of practices from oversight from the full board to boards establishing valuation committees of the board, which was, I think, pretty unusual prior to the rule, but some boards had considered it necessary in light of their funds investments in particular. And I'd just like to say for boards considering a board valuation committee, that directors really do keep in mind that the committee should focus on the role of the director in valuation oversight and make sure they're not crossing that line into the role of the valuation designee. I think compliance with the rule also reminded boards that they're not on an island as they oversee valuation, that they do have a lot of resources at their disposal. Um, and I think it's impossible to discuss a board's resources in virtually any context, including this one, without mentioning the CCO. Uh, the CCO is the one monitoring compliance with evaluation policies and procedures, and they can provide other valuable insights into the process that helps the board in their oversight responsibilities. And then, of course, you can't talk about compliance without talking about reporting. Jen mentioned that the rule does have specific reporting requirements, but directors do still have a lot of ability to tailor that reporting based on the investments in their funds and the particular circumstances um, that their board faces. This is critical to really allow boards to engage in the type of active oversight that the rule envisions. And it's easy to be overwhelmed with data in the valuation process. I think you know you sometimes hear from directors who you know are just getting a barrage of, of data from you know price challenges to fair values that that aren't really helpful. And I think the rule did provide another opportunity for fund boards to figure out what they actually need to see in those reports to actually conduct reasonable oversight as opposed to just getting data that they can't really use because it's just, you know reams of data. So I think that's sort of some of the main things we're hearing, but I'm thinking that Dave, you and Jen are going to be hearing different things in your role as as counselors to to funds and fund boards. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say, I mean, we hear a lot of the same things, uh, I, I guess I would start with for sure. I think that one of the things that we often hear is a curiosity about what everybody else is doing. Right. And so that's a that's a, a benefit that we can provide, you know, seeing a bunch of different practices. But that's also one of the incredible values of this paper that we're about to publish. Right. Is because that was a real focus of ours is sharing with the industry the different kinds of practices, whether it be around um, questions that trustees could consider asking or reporting that, you know, different advisors are prov providing to board, like all different uh, kinds of topics there. It's a collection of practices that we're seeing that we think make a lot of sense. And so that's what we have been trying to share in the boardroom. And that's what we're going to be sharing in this paper. So I think that probably makes it a good time to sort of jump into just a little bit of a preview of what's in the paper. As, as I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to have a rollout of the paper and we, we hope everybody reads the paper. And then we're going to have a webinar where we go through in, in, in much more detail about what's in there. But Carolyn, if you had to, in you know, a few minutes, talk about sort of how you think about the paper, how would you do it? Yeah, I mean, first of all, we're really excited to make this paper and upcoming webinar available to fund directors. Dave, you mentioned sort of the value in learning from what other people are doing. And I think that boards will really find that there is a lot of value in this paper for, for that reason. We think that many directors are still really considering whether they have the right process and whether they're going to continue to be able to meet this valuation challenge. And so I think the paper really will help 
Jen mentioned the questions that are embedded throughout the paper earlier when she was talking about the rule. And I think that really will give directors a lot of food for thought. It's one thing to tell directors what a rule requires, which obviously is important, and they need to understand what a rule actually says. But really, what helps directors the most is how to understand and how to apply that rule when they're in their boardroom. And that's what these questions will do for them. And so I think that's something that directors will find especially valuable in this paper. I think boards have always approached valuation from one of active oversight. Uh, but I think the emphasis in the release in this area has encouraged them to think about what that actually means and empower them to work more proactively with the advisor. I think the rule really does give boards a lot of power here that is good for them. And so I think it will help them figure out what they actually need to get from the advisor to make sure that they can meet the standard envisioned by the rule. And they have this opportunity about how they're going to organize themselves and whether it's the best process for their funds and their shareholders. And I think as we talk in the paper, there's a variety of ways to get to the end result of how you're going to structure your valuation process on any particular board. And I think it will be enormously helpful for fund boards. And as you mentioned, Dave, you know, they know their own process as well. And they have you and their, their auditors and some others as well who can provide insights into what others are doing. And I think this paper just extends that a little bit because it shows them in black and white what other people might be doing or something they may not have considered in their own process. Um, the paper combines experiences of a great working group of people who are involved in all kinds of aspects of the valuation process. And I think because you have that different perspective, you have an approach that boards can take that will help them think about valuation a little bit differently than I think they would have if, for example, the working group had only consisted of directors or only consisted of lawyers. I think this holistic approach really will add a lot of kernels of information that boards can then internalize and think, okay, I can make my process better if I think about these particular areas that we explore in the paper. And in addition, I think it's it's interesting that the paper does really spend some time talking about the valuation designees responsibilities. Obviously, it's not the board's job to tell the advisor how it should be structuring its valuation process. That's not the goal of this section of the paper. But I do think it's helpful for fund boards to appreciate how the advisor has set up its process for valuation, because I think it will then allow directors to have the information that they need to think of questions that they can ask the advisor just to get comfortable that the valuation designee is really able to manage the valuation process in a way that is required for their funds, especially for those funds that have really complicated valuation issues, or if the advisor is trying to enter into a new asset class that might have associated areas with valuation that are important to consider. Finally, I just want to mention that I think the paper has something for directors of all experience levels. For directors newer to fund boards, the paper is going to be a great primer to walk you through the valuation process. But that doesn't mean that experienced directors are not going to take something away from this paper as well. The rule does require directors to consider new areas and think about other areas in a new way. And I think because of that, I think it will be really eye-opening to experienced directors who may be set in a particular valuation process given their time on a board to think about 
new questions to ask or new areas to consider in a way that is really helpful to hone their valuation process on their fund boards. And I'm curious, uh, Dave and Jennifer, since you also have sort of a different perspective, how where you think the real takeaways for the, the fund directors are in this paper. I think you put them well, Carolyn. And I think that I would say that valuation is important to every board, right? And every director and everybody, they all come at it with their own experiences and expertise. And and, and this paper is intended to speak to all of that. Um, you mentioned the, the collaboration that we have on our group, right? Like, you know, we have a CCO, we have auditors, we have lawyers, we have directors, of course, and, and you know, we have the terrific forum staff. So it's it's a lot of wonderful experiences. And we really think that collection of experiences is going to speak well to all the boards. And, you know, the, the last thing that I would say um, is when people when, like in terms of what boards are, are worried about with respect to valuation, in addition to sort of implementing this rule, the compliance date for the rule uh, went into effect last September. The SEC start went out and started examining um, certain folks in the industry, right? And that was kind of a wake-up call for people uh, with 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 examiners in in people's shops already. And so I think that has been working its way right through those who are being examined and 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 folks trying to learn lessons from those exams. And I think that you know we've already listed a bunch of reasons why this paper is important, but I think. This is the last one that I would list, which is, I think, what you can read it and it will help you prepare for that kind of exam uh, if you ever get that kind of uh, examination request. So hopefully we've given you a whole bunch of reasons as to why you should want to read this paper when it comes out. And also, hopefully you want to watch us on our webinar, um, which, which, which is coming up in a couple of months. So we're going to wrap it there. But just before I do, I want to thank Carolyn, personally, for uh, inviting Stradley to be part of this project. It's been absolutely terrific. I want to give a shout out to our whole uh, forum working group uh, that we had in, in developing this paper, just a, a bunch of terrific folks and experts. And thanks to Carolyn Jen for being with me today on this podcast. So I uh, hope you enjoyed listening and hope to see you on Tuesday, November 14th at 2 p.m. for our webinar. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode four of Stradley Ronan's Talking Investment Management podcast. For more than 95 years, Stradley Ronan's investment management practice has helped shape the investment management industry by assisting with the creation of innovative investment products and services. From obtaining industry-first, exemptive, and no-action relief to assisting in the development of novel products, we have helped our clients become or remain industry leaders. As the investment management industry and our clients have evolved, so have we. Adding attorneys with experience in emerging areas, such as next-generation exchange-traded products, commodity futures trading commission regulation, and swaps and other derivatives trading. Meet our team at stradley.com.